This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. I am Jason Kong here with... Mary Lucas, of course, as always, representing Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you doing today? Doing well. It's like false fall, you know. We've gone to winter <laughs> and now North Carolina weather. I, it's, is it winter? Are we in fall? I don't know. We're in between. The holidays are coming. <laughs> Halloween's passed. We're in November. It's crazy. Yeah, just got to wait a few weeks, then we'll be complaining about how cold it is and <laughs> True. how we miss the mild temperatures. Yes. But, no, I get it. I, I certainly get it. It's just like the, the calendar doesn't match up with our expectations at times. Not but. at all. That's okay. We'll we'll get through it. Well, we've got a great show lined up today, and you know we're going to be talking about palliative care, and we often hear about palliative care lumped in with hospice, but I think we we kind of have a, a decent idea, maybe not a perfect idea of what hospice care is, and then I think palliative care, if you ask 10 people, you probably get 10 different answers <laughs> for what palliative care is. So we're going to get just a, a nice primer on what palliative care is, and we could think of no better person to do that than our good buddy, Mark Philbrick. Mark is the staff and community educator at Transitions Life Care, and he's joining us remotely from the Philippines. We're getting international this <laughs> afternoon. Mark, how are you? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. It's interesting to have you, we, for those who, you guys can't see us, but we have Mark on video chat right now. It's just awesome to have you from the other side of the world this morning. We're really excited to have you back on the show. Yeah, it's kind of weird because it's tropical climate here, and they start celebrating Christmas in September. And um, so we've already had Christmas carols for the past two months every time I go shopping. So um, wow, they go got to jump on you. Wow. Don't give the big box stores here any ideas, Mark. <laughs> they'll, they'll jump on it if they get the chance. <laughs> all right. So we're talking all things palliative care today. Mark, palliative care is such a weird word. It's hard for many people to say. Some people have never heard it before. What is palliative care? Great question. First, the, the word palliative itself comes from the Latin root word pallum, which is to cloak. So the concept of palliative care is to cloak someone in comfort. So that's sometimes where people talk about palliative care being comfort care. It's really a specialized medical practice, helping people who have a serious illness deal with their symptoms, managing the symptoms from uh, serious illnesses, such as the cancers, um, heart failure, liver failure, kidney failure, renal failure, brain failure, the different dementias, and so it, it's comfort measures to deal with helping people manage symptoms from these diseases as well as plan properly for how to navigate their changing health status. So who needs palliative care? You mentioned all these different disease types. So it's not necessarily someone who's exactly dying. Is, it, is there somewhere in the prognosis that palliative care makes sense? Who qualifies for palliative care and how do you go about um, signing up for palliative care or finding a palliative care provider? Well, palliative care is really for people who have what would be called a serious condition. It doesn't have to be a terminal condition. 
a serious condition is an illness that can lead to uh, changing the quality of someone's life. And so that it's a little different than hospice care, we can talk about that, but palliative care can be used anywhere along a disease trajectory where the person is having symptom problems, pain, nausea, um, confusion, delirium. And so these are specialists, just like they're board certified, doctors and nurse practitioners, just as a cardiologist or pulmonologist goes and has additional training, palliative care people are specializing in serious conditions and managing symptoms as they progress uh, towards end of life. That's very helpful. You, you've talked about some of the different doctors and uh, you know palliative care providers. Uh, what, who all is entail? What does that entail? Who all is on a palliative care team? If you've signed up for palliative care, um, who should you expect to see as the patient? Well, the primary people you would see would be a palliative care physician, um, a palliative care nurse practitioner. These are nurses who have additional training and master's degrees specializing in pain and symptom management. Uh, social workers, usually people with a master's degree in clinical social work who can help provide counseling, advice, uh, working with the psychosocial aspects of an illness because pain is not just physical as we've talked about before, but emotional. We also have spiritual care counselors who can help with uh, existential pain of people who are facing a serious uh, condition as they move toward a terminal condition. Uh, we also have nurse navigators. These are nurses who specialize in helping coordinate the care between different specialists because most people with a serious illness are seeing more than one doctor or more than one specialist. So they sort of navigate the, the movement of patients' illness uh, between the different specialists. That's really helpful. You know, my grandfather was on palliative care for quite some time with transitions um, before moving on to hospice where he is now. But the navigators, um, you know, that's something that you don't um, really realize or something I didn't really realize when uh, starting him on palliative care as a caregiver, the importance of that role. And, you know, when we noticed a change or the palliative care provider um, was noticing a change in his heart failure and, and the effects of that and was talking to him about medication, the navigators helped us with his cardiologist to adjust medicines or send over notes so they understood this is what we're seeing in the home. We need to probably adjust these medications. And that little connector piece saved us so much of a headache trying to get him back to the cardiologist and, um, and you know, share the notes and all the things that we're doing with palliative care where that little connector did it for us with palliative care. And I think that's something that's um, an incredible benefit of palliative care. I think you've got the, the point here is that it's a team, mm -hmm. a team within the palliative care team of doctors, nurses, social workers, spiritual care support but also palliative care doctors are part of your healthcare team overall. They don't take over the primary care. You still have a primary care doctor, and that's how we typically get palliative care involved as a primary care physician or other specialists. Could be a cardiologist. It could be your um, oncologist, a cancer doctor, or pulmonologist if you have uh, lung failure. They actually bring in these palliative care specialists to be part of their team to help people who are dealing with the symptoms of these other illnesses. So they, they work in collaboration with primary care doctors and other specialists. 
That's great. So, you know, I, I, something else that we noticed with my grandfather, as soon as we started palliative care, his nurse practitioner came out and opened his refrigerator um, and mm-hmm. was like, this is a problem. What <laughs> With heart failure, we need to go low sodium. We need to be watching this. You can't be eating this. Um, and that first step of being in the home and in looking at the environment around him and adjusting some things made his quality of life so much better um, right out front. So, Mark, I, I want to touch on that. Um, where is palliative care provided? We were able to receive it in the home. What are the different ways that you can receive palliative care? Well, palliative care can be accessible in our area in all locations. So we go wherever the patient is. So our palliative care clinicians work in the hospitals. So if a patient is inpatient in a hospital, they can come and visit at the hospital, whether it's an intensive care unit, a step-down unit, or a rehab unit. Um, But also they go to the person's individual home, wherever that may be. You know, we've uh, gone to locations uh, into private homes, in nursing homes. We also assist, go to assisted living facilities or independent living facilities. So uh, sort of like the old family doctor used to come and do house calls, that's what palliative care clinicians do. They can serve the patient wherever that patient's located. We are speaking with Mark Philbrick. Mark is the staff and community educator at Transitions Life Care. We're having a conversation all about palliative care, and we're going to continue that with Mark right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. If you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, be sure to go online to transitionslifecare.org transitionslifecare.org. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, our guest on the line from the Philippines. We're very pleased to welcome back on the show Mark Philbrick. Mark is the staff and community educator at Transitions Life Care, and we're talking all about palliative care. And Mary, we just kind of went over what palliative care is and how it is uh, is different from other types of care. But um now we want to kind of get into the conversation of, okay, well, now that we know what it is, how, how do we get it? You know, how, how do we start this? Absolutely. I think that something a lot of people we talk to are confused about is, how does this relate to my primary care doctor? Do I have to get rid of my primary care doctor? Or I really love my cardiologist. I don't want to lose that. Mark, how does this differ from the care that you're already receiving? And is it true that you really have to give up these doctors? No, you don't have to give up your doctors. In fact, this is a collaborative practice. So we get referrals from primary care doctors as well as other specialists. So the way this typically works is when your primary care physician, for example, feels that your symptoms are progressing with your illness, they want to bring in additional uh, opinions and experts. And so they would send a consult request to our palliative care team. And then based on the request, we would send out a clinician to do a evaluation of the patient and begin that process. So we uh, also do that with other specialists. Um, Heart specialists may feel that the experiences that the patient is having with their chest pain 
may need additional support and they would contact uh, palliative care on behalf of the family and have us come in as uh, consultants in that case. If you are in the hospital setting and um, and it's brought up, you know, will so a palliative care provider will come see you in the hospital. Can they follow you then once you're discharged from the hospital? Is that something you can continue in the community if you have seen a provider at the hospital while you're there? Uh, yes. With the Transitions Life Care, we have both what they call inpatient or hospital-based palliative care teams as well as community-based that can come out to your home or nursing home or assisted living. Uh, you have to check with a specific hospital you're in. Some hospitals have their own palliative care team, but could refer out to our community-based palliative care team. So we, we follow the patient as the patient moves from location to location, or for example, if they're in the home and we're following them and they, they need skilled nursing care and go to a nursing home, we can continue following them in that new location. Or if they bounce back uh, from the nursing home into the hospital, we can see them there. So it it follows the patient wherever they go. That's great information. And also for caregivers who land in the hospital, it's good for them to know that they can request a consult while they're there. Um, and that's something that's that's really important to remember in, in times of emergencies. Although, whoever remembers these things, right? Um, so, Mark, does insurance cover palliative care? Is it something um, that's a heavy cost that people should be concerned about? Palliative care is like any other uh, specialized medicine. It is covered by insurance. Both Medicare and Medicaid typically cover the cost of palliative care consult services. Um, also, private insurance companies. You need to check with your individual private insurance company, but most insurance companies will pay for this because they know that people who have their symptoms managed properly with palliative care uh, typically have reduced costs because they're hospitalized less they don't get back into the hospital as often when they're managed well. Also, the Department of Veterans Affairs through the VA hospital system also has palliative care consultation that's covered under the VA benefits. Great. The other part of this is um, Transitions Life Care is being a private not-for-profit. We take care of people regardless of ability to pay. Now, that's not universally true with all palliative care programs, but transitions does take care of patients who are indigent or don't have the means to pay or have a sliding scale for those who can't fully pay. Um, but they just would have a typically Medicare or private insurance covers 80% of the cost and there's a 20% copay that typically goes along with these visits. That's wonderful. If you could pick a few main benefits of palliative care that you've seen in your time with transitions and, um, and, and as a nurse and, and your experiences, what are some of the key benefits that you would share with our audience about palliative care? I think the three main ones initially is the physical attention and care that we provide. Uh, pain is the number one fear of people who are uh, seriously ill. So making sure their pain is managed properly, and that's one of the key uh, practice specialties of palliative care. The second is the family. Palliative care is intended not just to care for the patient, but for their family and the quality of life that they're dealing with and making sure that family understands the illness, the trajectory of that illness, what the work uh, and lifestyle plan is, and also helping prepare with advanced care planning for what inevitably all of us will face as we decline in health. Uh, the third benefit 
I think is navigating difficult family conversations. Uh, we often are put in a situation where not all the family members are agreeing about the plan of care. And so working with palliative care with somebody that can present multiple uh, views and help navigate these challenging family conversations when not everybody's singing from the same sheet of music. Great points. Mark, there's a lot of uh, confusion about palliative care versus hospice. How is palliative care different from hospice? And also, at what point should you shift to hospice? What are some things that you should look for uh, in determining if you need palliative care versus hospice? Well, all palliative care is comfort care, but hospice is a subset of that. The tipping point is when your physician determines that your condition has become terminal, which means they believe that based on what they're seeing, that you have six months or less to live. And that's the key to becoming a terminally ill patient, which qualifies for you for hospice care, which is the last six months of life. Um, prior to that, palliative care can be many months or years before that that helps. So the tipping point that people look for primarily is when they are at a point where medical treatment is no longer beneficial or that the uh, side effects of the medical treatments are so burdensome they outweigh the benefits of medical treatment. So that's the tipping point that we typically look for is, is when does the doctor say there's nothing more medically we can do. In that case, the focus is on comfort measures, planning for the future, and trying to keep the patient as comfortable as possible so they can live as fruitful a life as they can until the end. It's very helpful. You know, some, an, an important thing to think about is starting palliative care early. Uh, and that's something that was really important for us with my grandfather because we were able to kind of note his baseline and where that was and um, having the palliative care team watch his baseline and realize the point in time where his baseline was declining. And we were able to, because they had such a relationship built with him, we were able to easily realize that it was time to move to hospice. And it was because of that early start with palliative care and building those relationships between the providers and my grandfather and them having a relationship with his providers and communicating with the cardiologist and um, so forth. It was able, we were able to make a really easy transition. And at that point, we had everything in place, um, thinking about advanced directives and power of attorneys and things like that, that um, we were kind of ready for it. And that's a really important point because palliative care specialists also know what the hospice criteria for admission is for all these different diseases. And unfortunately, many people wait to the very end. They think of hospice as being uh, deathbed care when it shouldn't be. It should be months before somebody is at their final days so they can get the full benefit of a team of people helping them navigate those last uh, months, weeks, and days of life. We are speaking with Mark Philbrick. Mark is the staff and community educator at Transitions Life Care. We're talking all about palliative care right now. And when we get back from the break, we're going to have a discussion on some myths and misconceptions when it comes to palliative care. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. 
This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. We are going to be discussing palliative care. We're going to get into some myths and misconceptions when it comes to palliative care because it can be a very confusing subject area. So we are very pleased to have on the line Mark Philbrick. Mark is the staff and community educator at Transitions Life Care, and he is joining us remotely from the Philippines right now. So Mary, let's get into it. Let's get into some some myths and misconceptions when it comes to palliative care. All right, Mark, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Palliative care is going to make me die sooner. It's the same as hospice. That is a myth. The fact is that people who have palliative care manage their symptoms much better and tend to have a much higher quality of life. There's even been studies of people with end-stage lung failure who had palliative care versus aggressive chemotherapy. And they ended up living 34 days longer on average than people who had aggressive chemotherapy in the end stages of cancer. Mm. So that is a myth that actually palliative care can help not only the length of life, but the quality of life that people have. All right. How about palliative care is just for people with terminal cancer? That is also a myth. The fact is that people who have any type of serious illness are eligible for palliative care and can benefit it. Uh, Early stages of uh, palliative care and hospice many decades ago, it was started with cancer patients, but now cancer patients actually make up the minority. Less than half of palliative care patients are cancer patients. Some of the other major diagnoses are heart failure, lung failure, liver failure, kidney failure, and the dementias, including Alzheimer's. So you do not have to be a cancer patient to benefit from palliative care. Okay. I'm on palliative care, and I'm still able to receive treatments such as chemotherapy. I can have surgery. I can go to dialysis and be on palliative care at the same time. That is true. The reality is that palliative care works in conjunction with all these other specialties and can help navigate those uh, special treatments that you're getting. So you do not have to give up any aggressive treatment or active treatment. You can still be on chemo, radiation, dialysis, and benefit from symptom management of the palliative care team. All right. Palliative care team is only found in the hospital. Uh, That is not true. As we've spoken before, that palliative care goes where the patient is. So we do have palliative care teams within a hospital setting, but also in the community. We go to private homes, assisted living, and uh, independent living situations. So wherever that patient resides, we can have clinicians visit them and see them wherever they want to be seen. Okie doke. Uh, how about, um, I, I don't want to give up my primary care provider, so I'm not going to go on palliative care. 
palliative care works in conjunction, so that's not true. We actually collaborate with primary care physicians, and they're usually the ones that contact us to help have another opinion and specialist work with them. So not only do you not give up your specialist, you get an additional team member who has additional training beyond primary care to help manage the symptoms and some of these difficult conversations and advanced care planning that you may not be getting from the primary care physician. Awesome. I am not in, in any pain, so I don't need palliative care. I've, I've got everything managed. I don't have any pain. Well, pain is one of the, that's uh, not completely true. You know, pain is one of the things that palliative care deals with, but they deal with the entire psychosocial aspects of the illness. They help with advanced care planning. They help with people understanding their uh, disease trajectory and managing other symptoms along the way. So it's not just primarily pain that we deal with, but every aspect of managing that person's symptoms and helping them navigate the complexities of the healthcare system. All right. My doctor, uh, my doctor hasn't given up hope on me yet, so I don't really need palliative care. Well, that's not uh, true. The reality is that people think about palliative care as being uh, deathbed care or hospice care, you can be way away from your end of life and still benefit from palliative care. So um, you don't have to give up your doctor and it's not giving up hope. It's actually getting additional support and helping you navigate the, the time that you have as best as you can with transitioning between different stages of your Mark, are there any other myths or misconceptions that we haven't hit yet that come to mind for you? Um, one of the myths is that palliative care is only for old, sick people. Uh, the reality is our palliative care teams, we have both adult and pediatric palliative care specialists. The palliative care is good at any age or any spectrum of a person's illness. So we actually have a pediatric transition kids team that helps children from birth to age 18. And many of those are facing uh, serious chronic or terminal conditions. The other myth is that you have to be terminally ill and that's not true as well. You can have a serious or life-threatening illness or a chronic condition that has symptoms that need to be managed. So that's another myth we typically are, are dealing with is people thinking, well, I'm not dying, so I'm not ready. You've touched on this briefly in a couple ways uh, through our conversations, and I want to come back to it, especially as we go through these myths and facts. We, we talk about the patient in all these situations, but there is also a family aspect. You know, you're surrounded by your loved ones, your relatives, caregivers, friends, family, etc. Can you talk to us about the role of the family and the loved ones who are helping carry out the care for that person in the palliative care uh, environment? Yes, that's really a good point. One of the core philosophies of palliative care is that the patient and the family are a unit of care, meaning that the family is involved along the way. And a lot of this is done through what we call family meetings. So when we are meeting with the patient, many times we'll also meet with the family of the caregivers. And as a group, everybody is in the same room hearing the same thing, getting to ask 
questions of the palliative care specialists and making sure that everyone understands and that they come to uh, agree on what the plan of care is, what each person's role is in that, and helps them, I think, overcome one of the biggest fears is of the unknown. By having the family together and hearing it from the palliative care clinicians who are trained to give this, what I call compassionate truth telling, hearing the truth in a compassionate way so they know what is coming down the pipe. And that way they can be better prepared for it. As opposed to, in many cases, I call it the three monkey syndromes where the, the families hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil, making believe if we just ignore this, it's gonna go away. And then they're in a major crisis and the families are fighting over these decisions that could have easily been navigated with somebody who professionally can counsel them, the social worker, the doctor, the nurses who are skilled at really helping compassionately navigate these conversations, even in uh, families that are less than um, <laughs> collaborative to begin with. That's a great point you bring up. And I think that's something, you know, when you're sitting in a doctor's office at a cancer center or your primary care cardiologist and they um, diagnose you with a serious illness or a critical illness in, or yeah. terminal illness, it's, sometimes it's hard to hear everything. Um, and also mm -hmm. sometimes there's a gap in what physicians share just out of, of fear. Um, and I think that's a really great point you bring up in, in a way that the palliative care team can help in kind of bridging that gap between different providers and being able to talk to the family and have these dip difficult conversations so that you're prepared. And the other part of that too, is it's not a once and done conversation. Uh, this, as you mentioned, can be a lot of information to take in on a first meeting. And part of what they would start off is often the clinicians say, what do you already know about your condition and your family situation? So they can begin to understand what bits of information that family is ready to hear and at what pace they have to go in order to make sure they don't overwhelm the patient and the family with information. So. There's usually multiple follow-up visits with the family as the uh, patient's questions evolve and as treatment evolves. Mark, we always appreciate your time and expertise. This has been very helpful in helping us gain some more knowledge on what palliative care is and isn't. So again, thank you for your time. He is Mark Philbrick, the staff and community educator at Transitions Life Care. We appreciate you coming on the show. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be back with more. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Hey, if you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, be sure to head over to transitionslifecare.org. Transitionslifecare.org. I am Jason Kong. Good afternoon to you. I am here with Mary Lucas representing Transitions Life Care. And uh, we've got a nice segment here planned, and we're going to be talking all about hospice. And 
what to know and what are myths and what are facts, because this can be such a confusing field to navigate and there is just plenty of misinformation out there and hearsay when it comes to hospice. So we thought we'd get our information from the source here and we're pleased to have on the show Nikki Martin. Nikki is the Vice President of Quality and Compliance and the Chief Compliance Officer at Transitions Life Care. And Mary, you know, we talk mm-hmm. about hospice often, but mm-hmm. uh, as we said, there's just so much misinformation out there. Absolutely. I think for caregivers, you know, a lot of times in your caregiving journey, you're at this point in the road of what next? And you might feel just overwhelmed and um, I, and knowing that you need to bring in additional help, but not knowing how to do it. So Nikki, how can someone get help with hospice? How do you refer someone to hospice? What are next steps once you reach that point in the road? Great. Um, well, you know, anyone can make a referral to hospice. The patient themselves could call our agency or any hospice agency, or their family can call. I mean, most typically referrals come from hospitals or physicians' offices. Um, facilities like nursing homes and assisted livings will also make referrals. Um, but what hospice will do is check with your physician to see if they agree with the hospice um, option of care. So, you know, you just provide information for your loved one. We'll need like a name and address and date of birth, maybe insurance information, the name of their attending physician or nurse practitioner, and any other medical information that you think is going to be helpful. Um, And hospice does the rest. We contact the physician. We are going to gather medical records. Maybe if you had been in the hospital recently, we'll gather those records. And then we're going to schedule an admission or an info visit. So an info visit might be, We're looking at the records and we're not quite sure if you're going to qualify for hospice. So we'll do an info visit to get more information. Nikki, what if someone doesn't qualify for hospice? The caregiver has called in, has set up an appointment. Someone comes out for an info visit or for an admission and it's just not quite there yet. Are there other things that you can do to help the caregiver and the patient? Absolutely. Um, We would do an evaluation for maybe palliative care is the right road at this point in time. Um, some, and honestly, some patients are medically appropriate for hospice, but maybe the patient and family are just not there yet in their mind. And that's okay. You know, we will be ready when you're ready. And sometimes the palliative care is a nice bridge to hospice. And it isn't always a bridge to hospice, but sometimes it can be a bridge to hospice. And that keeps medical eyes on you, you know, nurse practitioners making visits, um, and really focus on what your what your disease process is and how it affects your day-to-day life and how it impacts the quality of your life. And, and that's oftentimes very helpful for patients and families. That's great. So how much does all of this care cost? It seems expensive. There's a lot of stuff in here that we've been talking about. What, what does it look like? <laughs> yeah, you would think it's going to be the most expensive thing, but I think after paying into Medicare your whole life, <laughs> the, the Medicare hospice benefit is fully paid for. I mean, you, you've put into Medicare your entire life. So it, at the end, it's nice that you get this care for, for no cost. Um, you know, there's also commercial insurances that cover hospice services, and you would have to check with your insurance carrier to find out if there's a co-payment or a limit on the coverage. And, it, and the nice thing about the hospice pro- program is that it covers all your nursing visits, your social worker visits, your spiritual care counselor, your aid visits. The doctors and nurse practitioners that may come out to see you, those are also all covered. 
We also have um, durable medical equipment that may be helpful in the home. That is also paid for by the hospice. Um, we also have medications that are related to why you're coming to hospice. So whatever disease you have, and then any other conditions that happen as a result of your primary diagnosis is what we call it. We will pay for all those medications as long as they're on our formulary. Those respite stays that are also very, very helpful um, in a time of need when a family's just, you know, I can't do this anymore. That's all paid for under the hospice benefit. The four levels of care, that are those are all paid under the hospice benefit. And then the bereavement services. And we also have to remember that Transitions Life Care is never going to turn away a patient because of their inability to pay for care or they're not insured. We take care of all patients regardless of their ability to pay for care. That's amazing. What a great benefit for the community. So, Nikki, a Mm -hmm. myth that we hear out in the field is hospice is only for cancer patients. Please tell me this is not true. (laughs) No, it is not true. Over time, I think it's... it's, um, the pendulum is, I wouldn't say swinging, but cancer does still remain the number one diagnosis for hospice patients, some form of cancer. But then there's other diseases that are chronic and you can have for quite some time, but at there's a point in time when it becomes the terminal phase of that illness. So we're looking at diseases like COPD, congestive heart failure, even Alzheimer's disease, there is a very specific time in that disease process where you are now entering the terminal phase of your illness. Uh, You know, liver failure, kidney failure, there's a lot of disease and illnesses that at one point will now um, progress to where you're in the terminal phase of your illness. That's very helpful. We have just a couple minutes Mm -hmm. left, so I have one more question for you. A lot of people who have experienced hospice with transitions or out in the the community ask, how can we give back? If a listener is wanting to give back, how should they go about doing that? Well, there's a lot of things you can do. I mean, you can volunteer at Transitions Life Care. You can go to our website to get any details you want. I think one of the most helpful things, too, is that you tell a friend about the good care that your loved one received. Um, I mentioned earlier, you can serve on our family advisory council. We do um, prefer that any family members wait until it's already been past one year of the death of their loved one, but we certainly could talk if they have a burning desire to be on the family advisory council. We wouldn't turn them away. Um, Let your physician know how the hospice care was able to help you and your loved one. And then, of course, um, as a nonprofit organization, we do rely on Um, philanthropy and donations from the communities that we serve that does help us be able to provide a kids program Um, that's pretty much fully funded by philanthropy so um, your giving in a financial way does help to provide care to those uninsured and kids and folks who have the need for hospice and in a very meaningful way Wonderful. And those who are looking to get involved can find more information at transitionslifecare.org. Transitionslifecare.org. I want to thank Nikki Martin, Vice President of Quality and Compliance and Chief Compliance Officer at Transitions Life Care, for uh, such an informative session here with you today, Nikki, related to all things hospice. We really appreciate your time and for uh, helping educate us and the audience today. Well, thanks for having me, Jason and Mary. 
We really appreciate it. That'll do it for us today. We're out of time. Don't forget, go to WPTF.com, click on the podcast section, find Aging Matters if you want to catch up on shows, or head over to TransitionsLifeCare.org to find more information about Transitions Life Care. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I'm Jason Kong, thanking you so much for listening to Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a wonderful weekend. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.